Welcome to the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. We're proud to announce a new sponsor for the podcast over the next eight weeks, and would like to introduce you to Beyond Pricing. Beyond Pricing is the number one revenue management platform for short-term rental managers and owners to get, grow, and keep revenue. Their suite of tools has helped their partners see as much as a 40% increase in booking revenue. Listen in for the mid-episode break where we'll hear some more information about Beyond Pricing. Let's get started. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. Well, today I am pleased to have with me my son, my business partner, Mike Bayer, and we are talking about vacation rental safety. This is the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new and what will help make your business a success. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer, and today I have with me my son, my business partner, Mike Bayer, to talk about vacation rental safety. Hey, Mike, Hello, how are you everybody. doing? It's kind of nice to be back. It's been a little, a little while again. It is always good to have this time with you. Yes, and you know what? Like a, a lot's been happening in the industry. A lot's been happening with us and Vacation Rental Formula. So much so that we're even starting a new business, which is what we love to do. We <laughs> like the nice, the nice next bright shiny thing. So, <laughs> yeah. So you know, got a little bored for ten minutes. Let's start another business. Yeah, I, I think this is a good one though, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And it's and it's all in relation to vacation rental or short term rental or cottage rental safety, which is actually the name of our new business. It's called cottagerentalsafety.com. And we're very, very excited. I mean, this is, I mean, we've got to give a lot of credit here to Justin Ford from Breezeway. Um, I mean, this is where it all started. Justin is a, is a safety expert for the, the Breezeway platform. And uh, yeah, and then that's what we're going get, to get into today is, is kind of what he started and, and how we are kind of running with it. Because uh, it is really, truly, truly needed. And it's something we should have thought about years ago, but it is what it is. And now we're, we're, we're taking the torch and running with it. Yeah. Cause Justin's joined me on the podcast a couple of times before, and we've, we've sort of touched on, we've touched on safety, but not to, to the extent that we've gone now. And what, what happened was that Justin spearheaded as director of safety operations for Breezeway, the certificate in, what's it called? My STR, S-T-R-S-I. S-I, yeah. Yeah. Short term rental. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. You go. <laughs> Short-term rental safety inspector. So I I did the course first and qualified and then said to Mike, this was just amazing. I learned so much on this course. And as a property manager for the last 20 years, I have, well, goodness knows how many properties I've I've looked at. And I'm not saying inspected because now I've just viewed them and to a degree paid lip service to some of the blatant safety issues that were there, where I've perhaps said to an owner, eh, you really need to do X, Y, and Z before we can rent this for you. But I've always deferred back to their insurance company and said, look, you know, if your insurer says it's fine, then I guess that's okay. But now I'm looking at it, having done the safety inspector course, I've, I'm now looking at all these aspects of safety in a very, very different way. And then Mike came along and did 
his inspector's course as well. And away we go. I think, you know, one of the challenges that we've had, I guess, for us and now a personal evolution in terms of, you know, the things that we teach. I mean, essentially, that's what we do with the Vacation Rental Formula and the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. And, you know, all the things we get involved in is we're always trying to teach vacation rental business owners or property managers how to, you know, perform the operations of their business more efficiently, how to make more profit, all those kinds of things. And, and sometimes we forget to advocate for the guests. We have been really pushing for the last few years about, you know, guest expectations and, and, you know, wowing your guests because, you know, you can get those guests to return, but we haven't really focused too much on the, you know, the, the moral human responsibility of the fact that you're getting somebody to pay to stay in your accommodation. So you should be providing the minimum or minimum and exceed the minimum uh, amount of safety for those guests to ensure that when they, they come and stay, they leave just as healthy as when they arrived. There has been one of the great things I love if you have, if you don't do it yet is to follow Justin Ford on his social media channels, whether it be Instagram or Facebook. Um, if you haven't, if you're not part of Facebook groups, um, Justin is always in those groups sharing his, uh, his knowledge about short-term rental safety. And he also shares a lot of the stories and case studies that he hears from across North America and the world in terms of incidents that have happened at property whether it be debt collapses, fires from, you know, barbecues, misplaced barbecues, uh, whether it's, um, you know, drownings and swimming pools, things like that. I mean, all of these things that we don't like to think about, and certainly as individual short-term rental owners and as property managers, and we'll get into that a little bit in this episode, is that there's always that liability and your your insurance is going to cover you uh, as long as you've got the proper rental insurance, but you need to be looking at the long-term liability. You know when you could potentially be you know, sued in civil court for negligence when it comes to you know providing accommodation. So this is you know it is a huge topic when you get into it, and and we we've already done a few test inspections. Uh, we actually went to Heather's sister's property where she, she actually rents herself, and you know some of the questions and the discussions that we had coming out of the safety inspection or this practice safety inspection that we did was phenomenal just to realize that some of the things that you would think that most people would be aware of just hadn't been considered. And I think this is, you know, what we're doing with this new company of ours, I think could really be, you know, the the greatest outcome we can have is to know that a property that we've inspected, you know, there was an emergency and something happened and a life was saved. I mean, I know that sounds very grandiose, but I mean, I think that's the bare minimum. As I said, you want to make sure your guests leave just as healthy as when they arrived. Uh, something you touched on, Mike, people perhaps don't consider it that important. And, and I know Justin has mentioned, you know, people will say, well, it's never, it's, you know, I've been renting for 20 years and nothing's ever happened. Well, it doesn't happen till it does. <laughs> and once it, and when it does, if you're not prepared for it, then the outcomes can be, well, tragic in one way. And certainly from a liability perspective, from a property manager or owner, those consequences are far reaching. I know, and I've said this before, I know this because we are being sued currently. Uh, I say currently, it's a, it's a lawsuit that's been going on for the last four years. We haven't heard anything about it for about 18 months, but we have very good insurance and it is, as far as we're concerned, a frivolous lawsuit. And I guess it may go to a settlement at some point, but it's, it's that eye-opener when the doorbell goes, you go to the door and somebody's handing you an envelope and says, you've been served. It doesn't happen to you till it does. So I think there's a couple of different sides to this this whole 
you know, looking at the safety of your property. And if you're a property manager, looking at the safety of your inventory to make sure all your properties kind of meet a minimum safety standard. I mean, obviously, you know, every single state here in Canada, every single province have different rules and legislation on basic safety just for residential housing in terms of, you know, having working smoke alarms and smoke detectors. For here in Ontario, it's in Canada, it's not even mandatory to have fire, uh, fire extinguishers. But if you're renting a commercial business, you know, essentially, you know, you may not be listed as a commercial business, but as, as a vacation rental property, you are a commercial business offering accommodation. You should be trying to at least meet or exceed what other commercial operations have. So if you look at hotels, for example, you know, it is a basic requirement to provide fire extinguishers. I mean, that's just really a no brainer. Um, I mean, if you, you're going to have people in your property who are not used to, you know, using your stove, using your barbecue. For us here in, um, you know, the majority of our properties here in Ontario, Canada, a lot of our guests are traveling from major urban centers um, out into the country. So a lot of these people don't even have a barbecue. So it could be the very first time they've ever used one. They could live in a condo building where they're not allowed barbecues on their balconies. So they're going out and they're all excited to use this thing for the very first time. They have no idea how much fat comes off a chicken on a barbecue. And if that barbecue is not cleaned and if that, you know, the fat reservoir underneath the barbecue hasn't been cleaned out and then the barbecue itself is under a covered porch or up against a fence, then you're going to see half the side of your house engulfed in flames. And again, but being a rural property, typically the fire department is not going to be there in five minutes. Rural properties tend to have much longer response rates for help from first responders. So you have to take all of these things into consideration. And that's really, you know, the the meat and potatoes of of this short-term rental safety inspector certification is that the property is not only prepared for the guests to ensure that they have the best possible opportunity to look after themselves, but also you're providing them with the bare you know, the the minimum amount of equipment to at least help mitigate some of these emergencies should they occur. I thought we'd perhaps sort of talk through an inspection and, you know, what we actually, what, what we actually look for. You think, thinking back on the last test inspection we did, because for me, there were so many things that I, you know, I'd, I'd learned in the course, but to actually go out and look at them was was quite different. It's like going live in the field. I, I guess, I guess you, the analogy could be like, you know, a, a, a surgeon learning to do a procedure uh, on a video and then going out and getting the instruments out and practicing on a real person. Not yeah, the greatest it, analogy, perhaps. No, I know, I know what you mean, um, but it, it puts it into a different perspective when you're standing there and you're looking at a property and you're walking around. And especially if you have the owner there with you who's you know, asking all, you, all the questions. It's like, should I do this? Should I do that? Mm-hmm. And I think what – I mean, I would strongly encourage any property manager who's listening to this to get somebody on your team STRSI certified. So through this episode, I'm going to refer to this quite often and some of the resource material, and you can head across to vacationrentalformula.com forward slash safety. And we're going to have all the resources for this episode are going to be on that page. And as we add and get more involved in safety, advocating safety for short-term rentals, you're going to find a lot more information on there. So I mean, I would bookmark that if you head across to the website, mm-hmm. And then just come back from time to time and there'll be new articles and new information for you to uh, to look at. But I think as a bare minimum, as a property management company where you're renting out properties in bulk. So, you you know, for example, Heather's business, you're into 160 to 200 properties. It's important to make sure that you are meeting that bare minimum of safety. As we discussed at the top of the episode, 
both Heather and I have been, or I've been one of Heather's account managers, and we've both been out and looked at properties. But I will, I will tell you, even as a firefighter, if you guys didn't know, I'm a, I'm a full-time firefighter as well. I don't ever remember. I may have looked to see if there was a smoke alarm, but never actually tested it. Mm-hmm. And typically, people's second properties, quite often, the those kind of things that are drilled into you all the time in your own residence don't tend to get checked in your secondary because it's not normally front of mind when you're there. So, yeah, I think for you know, as we go through this episode, I will kind of walk you through some of the, the points that come across in this inspection and some things for you to consider. So, the the full STRSI inspection is actually a sixty eight point inspection. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to you know meet all sixty eight points. It's, it's actually only about half of that is actually required for you to actually become you know have a property that is considered to be safe under the Breezeway STR. STRSI program. But a lot of the points, the extra points, are really good advisories and information resources for the property owner or for the property manager to kind of look at. And I think it's, it's just a wonderful way to kind of really dive into some of this stuff. So the way it's broken down is, is obviously you, you have your property exterior and you have your property interior. And then the two other categories that, that currently um, as part of the, uh, the inspection process are pools, spas, and hot tubs, and waterfront. So there's, there's four main topics, and all of the inspection points kind of fit into those four topics. We're not going to go through the whole 68 points in this episode, but I think, I think we'll certainly touch on a few of the bare basics that you should all have in your properties no matter what, and they don't cost a penny. And so I think this is, you know, we, we can cover some, some, some really important topics here. Yeah, it might cost a few pennies, just, just a, a few. The, the first one I want to mention, because this is what, you know, as you come to the house or the property, the clear signage. And that's the first thing you pointed out, because as we arrived at this property, there was a great snowbank, huge snowbank, and you could not see the number, the property number. And Mike pointed that out for the very first thing, that if you call 911 and you're calling an ambulance or you're calling the fire department, you need to have that number visible so that uh, the emergency service is nowhere to go. So that was the first thing. The other that I'm going to add into this was actually how many people who come to your property, if they have to make an emergency call, how many of them know what address they're at? I know this, Mike. We, I mean, places we've been to, Costa Rica, in Maui, in, I'm just name dropping now, in, in the Bahamas. I don't think any of them, I would have known how to identify the place if I'd had to make an emergency call? Well, not only were you, you weren't sure of where we were, but we probably weren't sure that like 911 is not necessarily the emergency number in every single destination yeah. we've been to. Um, I mean, it wasn't that long here in Ontario where if you were not in a major metropolitan area, you had to dial a full telephone number to call the police or the fire or, fire or, or a, a paramedic. So that's one of the very you know basic points of this inspection is to have a safety information card. And that safety information card needs to be somewhere prominent, somewhere that cannot be removed, somewhere, some, something that cannot be put away. So ideally, either a magnet on the fridge or even just a, you know, a laminated sheet. Um, but it needs to be available for everybody to see in an emergency. So you don't want to be searching through a welcome guide. Um, it needs to be very prominent and very easy for everybody to see. It'll have the correct numbers uh, in terms of which emergency service you need. And it will also have the address of the property. Um, you can also include on that safety card if you have a first aid kit um, where that's located. And if you are like an amazing 
incredible owner and you can you've invested in providing something like a defibrillator um which i highly recommend for rural areas anywhere where you're going to be more than five minutes away from a paramedic or a fire department is uh, is to include where that's uh, located as well the other thing i wanted to mention you, you said make sure it's in one place we are recommending for our owners because we're actually we, we are now creating these cards for them and one thing that that came up while we were talking to uh, the owners of the last property is that uh, accidents often occur on or around the water. All our properties are waterfront. So you've got a, a half a dozen people down on the dock. Somebody leaps into the water, perhaps has has an accident of some sort, bangs their head. The first person gets out the phone and goes, where are we? What's the address? So you could be two minutes from getting back into the house to find that information. So we are going to put these down on the dock as well and have that information there and available for anybody where people congregate outside as well. So we're giving our our owners probably half a dozen of these laminated cards and they can have them in different parts of the house. So, you know, particularly in large properties, it's it's good good point to have have one down in the in a family room. Um, have one in the kitchen, have one, as I say, down by a waterfront dock. Yeah, absolutely. You, you beat me to that one uh, about the uh, the waterfront and, uh, or a pool. Like if you have a pool, pool emergencies are very common as well. So yeah, so anywhere where you're going to congregate kind of away from, uh, you know, the main information point in the house, um, it's always good to have those. And I mean, I mean typically... You know, if you have a pool or waterfront anyway, as part of the inspection, it's recommended that you actually have signage. So if you have a pool, there should be signage um, in regards to, you know, safety around the pool, as well as down by the waterfront is to include, you know, recommending no diving. You know, all these things that you can put on the signage to show that you've done your due diligence when providing information to your guests. So should somebody dive off the dock into the lake and there happens to be a log submerged underwater and they crack their head open? You know, you recommended in the signage that's clearly displayed, we recommended no diving. So that really, really helps. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's not going to be a liability claim against you. However, it does show that you have done, and I use this phrase a lot, your due diligence to ensure that you, you know, you've provided for the safety of your guests. Uh, another one I'd recommend is, is if you're using digital guides, we use TouchStay. So in our digital, every digital guide, it says no diving or jumping off any dock. And and one of the reasons for this is that there was an accident uh, a couple of years ago, and I'm sure this has happened before, but a family or a group of people arrived at a property late one night. It was very dark. The family got out of the, in fact, it was, it was a group of younger people. One of the guys got out of the car and said, look, the water went straight to, ran down the yard, full of the joys of being on vacation, dove off the end of the dock, and it was only three feet deep. And and he was paralyzed. Not yeah. the best the, start the, to a vacation. And and those are those absolutely tragic stories that are so easily prevented with the correct information or signage. Well, um, in the, in this case, I don't think it would have prevented it. You know, the information was there. The owner, the manager, was not negligent in any way. They'd said in the guide, "Do not jump or dive off the dock because it's only three feet deep." The guy had not read this, or if he had it, he hadn't taken it in. However, it was there. So in terms of, of negligence on behalf of the owner or the, or the um, property manager, they had done their due diligence. I mean, how far can you go? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something really important to get across is that we don't want to be appearing to be doom and gloom. Accidents will happen, you know, no matter what you do to 
put measures in place to prevent them, to provide all the correct information. Accidents will still happen. But what we're looking at here is that is that you can demonstrate that you've done everything in your power as a property management company or as an individual owner to ensure the safety of a guest. And again, doing that due diligence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anybody who's who's found themselves in in a, in a court battle quite often, that is the one thing that is you know the prosecution is looking for is did you provide due diligence in did you do everything in your power to ensure that you provided for the safety of your guests um and actually that's a really good point if anybody um who's listening to this episode has the chance it would be great if you go across to the show notes which will be vacationrentalformula.com forward slash what episode are we on uh it'll be vrs 308 yeah, so VRS three eight zero. So if you go across to the show notes, and if you look, if you're listening to this on a mobile device, just go into the description, and there's a link right there that'll take you across. We'd love to hear some of your comments about this because I think this will be, you know, potentially we may have some guests on the podcast in the future where we can talk about some of these issues and. You know, especially if you've come under some kind of litigation because of of these issues, um, it would be you know it'd be a great conversation to have and for other property managers and and rental owners to to hear um, how you dealt with it and what the outcome was if you're comfortable sharing. Welcome to this mid-episode break, and it's going to be myself, Mike Bayer, um, talking to you today about our newest sponsor, Beyond Pricing. And we're really excited to have the team at Beyond Pricing supporting the Vacation Rental Success podcast, and I appreciate them jumping on board. Uh, This is an exciting opportunity in partnership with them. And I think, especially in the times we're in now with COVID, with, you know, fluctuating markets all the way across uh, North America and the world is trying to keep up with the supply and demand because, you know, based on different uh, governmental rules and regulations, uh, you know, our industry is in constant fluctuation in terms of, you know, whether or not we have a huge demand for um, for our properties um, or if the, you know, that demand drops off because all of a sudden uh, we can't do um, rentals in certain areas. Now, one of the things that Beyond Pricing does is is what's called dynamic pricing. Uh, now, if you're not familiar with this, I mean, this tends to be something that larger property management companies uh, have been looking at for years. Um, is really trying to mimic uh, what the the huge companies like the airlines and Expedia and those kinds of travel companies they will fluctuate their pricing depend on dependent on demand. So, the higher the demand for their products and services, the pricing will gradually increase, um, even to the point where if you keep checking on the same flight for example if you i'm not going to pick an airline um specifically but if uh if you go to an airline and you you know you keep looking uh, around and shopping around for the best price for a flight you'll begin to notice those prices start to increase little by little um and that is actually designed to make you book because you can actually see those prices going up um, now, what Beyond Pricing does is is focuses on your revenue for your rental business and the pricing for those properties um, based on the demand. So, if all of a sudden uh, you know you've been in lockdown and all of a sudden you have a huge demand, you know as that lockdown is lifted and you have a lot of traffic coming to your website. 
Beyond Pricing will automatically begin to adjust the pricing of your property to increase that price to get you the maximum revenue that you possibly can um, based on your own traffic, but also analyzing the traffic of the competitors in your area. Um, and, you know, these kind of insights, um, you know, and, and looking at your own portfolio performance as well as the performance of other um, listings that are, that are in your uh, vacation destination, this kind of technology is invaluable to ensure you're not leaving money on the table. Um, and I know I've had conversations with Heather about her property management business, that the way it's set up is that it's very difficult to change the pricing currently with the PMS that they're currently using. They have to go into each individual property, um, they have to change the, the rate tables and all those kinds of things. And and what Beyond Pricing does is it can actually automate that process where those that pricing can be be changed, you know, all at once. Let's say you want to do a, a blanket increase of, of prices, you can do that. Or you can automate the system where Beyond Pricing will actually change those prices for you based on the, the traffic you're getting to your website and the demand for those properties or, or for a specific area. And this could be, I mean, so if you have, uh, you know, a vacation destination that announces a huge event, uh, like all of a sudden, and especially as we're coming out of COVID um, lockdowns, and we're starting to see more and more events starting to pick up, you know, when these announcements are made, people are just jumping on, you know, getting out there and getting back out into the world. And this is where, you know, if you are too slow to make those changes when you're seeing these, these uh, you know, large number of people trying to attend this one event, and maybe you haven't even heard about it, um, you may not be quick enough off the mark to make those changes, and that's where Beyond Pricing System can really help. So that's it for today, but look, listen out for the next few weeks. We're actually going to be talking to Beyond Pricing. Uh, we're going to be asking them some questions and really get deep diving into what the company can offer and how it can benefit you and your business. So if you want to find out more information about Beyond Pricing, head across to vacationrentalformula.com forward slash beyond hyphen pricing, and you can check out their virtual vendor showcase page where you can find out more information, and you can click across to their website and uh, find out what it's all about. Mike, I'd like to talk about your speciality, which is um, fire safety, fire prevention, and there were a couple of things when we did the last inspection that I didn't know about checking fire extinguishers for a start. So there was positioning of and checking fire extinguishers. And and also we did all the testing of the smoke alarms and the fire alarms. And, and that was uh, that was interesting, too, because I learned a lot about the differences in these um, in, in these different types of products. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, there's so much information to go through and so much to share, um, which I won't fit in this episode. Uh, again, if you go head across to vacationrentalformula.com forward slash safety, I will include some information in there about different types of smoke detectors and smoke alarms. And the biggest thing to remember is they don't last forever. Um, they have a shelf life. And typically, most jurisdictions require you to change your smoke alarms and smoke detectors after 10 years. Now, Again, I'm always encouraging vacation rental owners, business owners to not 
not go to the extreme. If you can do better, so maybe maybe in your policy you say we're going to change this every seven years. It just means that you're reducing that chance or, or limiting that chance that, that those uh, those devices are are not going to work when you need them. The biggest thing is is that you test them on a regular basis. I mean, this should be part of your weekly. You know, between every single guest, the detectors should be t- should be tested. You know, you press that button, you make sure that the, the, the audible alarm is working. Um, with new properties here in Ontario, a lot of building codes now are including that the uh, alarms are not only audible, but they're also visual as well, that they actually have a flashing strobe. And if you look at the the Nest system, which is, uh, I think uh, Nest is owned by Google, I think, or Apple, I think it's Google, is they also have voice as well. Um, it's been proven that children do not tend to wake up or the statistics show that children don't wake up to alarms. They do wake up to voice. So including, um, you know, those kind of alarms in your house are, are really, really important. Um, the other thing is to make sure that if you have wired, you know, hardwired smoke alarms, smoke detectors, is that the battery backups um, are changed frequently. Typically, most jurisdictions require you to change them every six months. But again, as a commercial operation, it's not that expensive to change them every three months. We typically, most fire departments across North America recommend, you know, when the clocks change, change your, your smoke alarm batteries. That's a good one to go by. But it's really something that you should be ensuring is, is noted down on your regular maintenance checks for the property. And certainly, you know, typically most um, vacation destinations have about three, uh, sorry, have two to three vacation seasons a year. So make sure that they're fresh and ready to go at the beginning of the season. Um, my question about smoke alarms and, and CO monitors, uh, if you're inspecting a new property, if you're going to a new property, you know, as a property manager viewing it, uh, I, I've just looked up and said, oh, great, you've got a smoke alarm. But we should be doing more than that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, generally speaking, you can people will say that you, you, you don't know for sure the age of a detector. Um, especially the older ones, because a lot of the older detectors don't actually have a date on them. Anything you buy these days uh, across North America will have some kind of date stamp or date sticker on them. And be very cautious that it, it is the date of expiry, not the date of manufacture that you're looking at. So, I mean, obviously, if we're looking at the 10-year rule, you want to make sure that you're changing those out within 10 years. But typically, a lot of those um, detectors will show discoloration or staining from um, um, if they have an active sensor where they're actually drawing in air. Um, you'll actually see some staining around them. You tend to see those a lot more on carbon monoxide detectors where they actually begin to get stained. So, yeah, again, I mean, um, talking about carbon monoxide detectors, even if you don't have a gas appliance in your home, which typically everybody does, get a carbon monoxide detector anyway, because there's no guarantee. You don't know what your guests are bringing into the property. So it's a really good idea to make sure that even if you don't have gas appliances in your property that you you include but generally speaking we all have you know most people have a gas furnace or, or, or some form of combustion furnace um, electric is is very expensive these days if you're in colder climates and you know anything that produces some form of you know is, is is using some form of combustion there's the possibility that you know the exhaust system could fail or become blocked um, if you have an open fireplace there's, there's possibility that the the flue is not functioning properly so all of those things are you know you need to have that safety in place for your guests should there be a failure of the mechanical systems a couple of interesting things came you know a lot of interesting things came out of that uh, that discussion on the last inspection one of them was that you know there was a gas stove and you asked the question where's the shutoff for that gas stove because that is something that that should be written down somewhere in case of uh, of of an emergency right 
Yeah, now that's going to that's gonna change from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. I mean, in a commercial application, you do have to have a gas shutoff visible and available to employees should... Uh, for, and I'm, I can only speak from experience here in Ontario, in Canada. But, you know, that, you know, what's required um, will change from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And if you're unsure on things like fire safety, the easiest thing to do is, is go to your local fire department or phone your local fire department and ask to speak to your fire prevention or, or public uh, education officer. They will have the, the knowledge, the experience of, of what the laws and rules are in your jurisdiction. But there's also just good common sense. So as far as I'm aware, in a residential application, there is no requirement for a shutoff within the kitchen itself. So you can still go to the gas meter outside and go shut it off. But as far as I'm aware, there is no mm-hmm. requirement to have that gas shut off. However, if you know gas ranges are not that common these days. So, I mean, gas, I love to cook on a gas range, but the dangers are there that if you're cooking with, with, you know, with fats um, or frying something, there's the possibility that you could have a flare up um, or even worse, a full-blown fryer fire or, a, or an oil fire. Those are incredibly dangerous and the vast majority of people don't know to smother the fire with a with a blanket they will tend to pour water on it and that is an instant catastrophe for a home you put water on an oil fire and it will explode in flame so typically you know if you are having a gas range you have to think about okay so so now we need to i'm not you should have fire extinguishers anyway. I think that should be a given. Even though it's not required in most fire codes and residential homes, get a fire extinguisher. It really is the most basic piece of equipment to have and can save your property and, and you know save potentially people getting trapped um, and potentially dying from smoke inhalation. I mean, just to go off on a bit of a tangent, that is the statistic is that people don't die from a fire. They don't get burnt to death. Unfortunately, they asphyxiate because of the, the, the smoke that we now get in, in modern day homes where most of the combustible materials are all plastics and and basically manufactured materials, whereas they're not wood and, and cotton. So the toxic smoke is what causes people to to unfortunately um, not survive. Um, so what we have to be doing is number one is is making sure that there is good means of egress for people to escape, which is number one is like can you get out, and number two is if you have the ability to and you are able to provide some means of you know uh, agents to extinguish the fire if you can it shouldn't be you must extinguish it's get out first and if you are able to grab an extinguisher at the point of exit then you can go back in and try and fight the fire you know with that exit right behind you should you need to get out yeah that was that, that was an interesting thing that came up about the location of the fire extinguisher at the um at, at the place we were at recently because it was in it was in a mudroom they didn't want it in the kitchen this is often what we hear from owners. You know, it's unsightly. They did not want it uh, on a wall, but it had to be within 30 feet, 30 feet of the... I honestly don't remember in terms of exactly if there was a particular distance. But the thing was, is that, I mean, you, you mentioned that it was out in a mudroom. It was easily accessible. The only thing was, is that that mudroom led into a garage, which was going to be locked for mm-hmm. guest use. So guests could not go from that mudroom into the garage. So if they if, if a fire broke out in the kitchen, they had to go into the mudroom to get the fire extinguisher. They couldn't just sort of un- unhook it and, and get going with, with the foam and then back out of the door. They would have to go back into 
the area where the fire was. Yeah, they were basically entering a room that they could could become trapped in. Yeah, because it was the opposite direction from the exit. You put that a far um, better than I did. <laughs> yes, I, I know what you mean. So yeah, so, so and that's and that's just common. That's the way to look at it. It's just standing stand in your kitchen, and think if a fire happened now, where would I go? What would be the quickest route to get out? Should this be a, a massive exploding inferno what's the fastest route to my exit your fire extinguisher should be on that route not actually Mm -hmm. in the kitchen but you know on a wall as you're exiting the kitchen but but those owners hadn't hadn't thought it was on their way out yeah but for them but but for them but not for guests so you know really important to bear that in mind is just have that route out mapped for guests, you know, not thinking about the, the great location of this device for you as an owner. Mm-hmm. And I think, and then we also then switched the conversation of okay, I mean, it was it was properly mounted, um, so all fire extinguishers should be mounted um, and not just sitting on the ground. All fire extinguishers come with 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 a bracket to actually put it on the wall, um, and that's where it should be. And it should be, I, I believe, we said no higher than five feet. I mean, I prefer it a little bit lower, about the three to four foot mark, because that allows everybody to access it. Um, but it needs to be mounted off the ground. Now, the next conversation was, oh, let's put, we can put it in one of the cupboards in the kitchen. Now, with the S- STRSI certification, that is acceptable. And you can put it in a cabinet in the kitchen as long as it's mounted in the cabinet, it's not just kind of like just left lying around with all the cleaning products, which should also be locked up. Um, but it's actually mounted inside the cabinet and there is a label on the outside of the cabinet to say there's a fire extinguisher within. Per not my preference, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you're renting your property out. Um, I don't think guests are going to be upset to see a fire extinguisher mounted on the wall beside the front door or bes- beside the means of, you know, the nearest exit. I think it's it really is just kind of a bit of a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. To include. Now, I've got one here in my house. I remember I did a, some fire safety training at, at work and realized, yeah, I've got my, my smoke extinguisher. Sorry, I've got my fire extinguisher, but I've never mounted it and I've never put it in the right spot. So sometimes it just takes that, you know, that extra bit of thinking that you, you, you most people probably do have a, a fire extinguisher hanging around in the house, but just make sure it's mounted on the wall in a spot where everybody's going to see it. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Sorry, just real quick while we're on extinguishers, you mentioned earlier that they, they go into the room and they grab it and then they put the foam on the fire. It's not a foam extinguisher. So, I mean, again, okay. this, this is a, a full hour's conversation type of extinguisher, <laughs> but you want to have a type ABC, which is dry powder or, or dry chemical extinguisher. Um, because that is good for just about all fires in a house. And the powder extinguishers are very, very effective. Ask, anybody ask me in person, I can tell you a nice long story about how I, we were able to save an entire house just using dry chemical extinguishers. Okay, well, that, that that's great. Yeah, and I, I remember you talking about powder when we were there because you talked about just on that changeover, just do a, a upend the fire, take it out, check that it's still in date and shows the green mark and then upend it. So because that powder can sink to the bottom and and left there over a period of time can become less effective. Yeah, so, it's, so inside the extinguisher, you have a propellant, which is under pressure. And as you you, you press the, uh, the squeeze the trigger, um, that propellant forces the powder out. But if the, if the powder is just sitting and settled, and it's a very, very fine powder, so if that is, it's a bit like talcum powder. If it sits there and cakes in the bottom of the extinguisher because it's never been moved around, then there's the possibility that that propellant will not force anything out because it's now solid. It's not a, mm-hmm. it's not a fine powder anymore. So it, I, mean, it, I mean, typically in, in a commercial setting, your commercial inspector will come in and, uh, you know, sorry, your commercial um, 
um, fire protection company will come in and they will take the fire extinguisher out to their truck and they'll put it in a little shaker and it'll just shake it a bit like a paint can. So you can upend it, give it a little shake, make sure the pin is still in, make sure the, the pressure is in the green zone. Um, and even better, make sure that the, uh, the little zip tie tag is on it uh, to ensure it doesn't get pulled accidentally. Excellent. And then, all, and then the last thing is just double check that, that the extinguisher is less than 10 years old. That's the, um, that's the, it, well, I think after five years, it needs to be um, inspected by a company. And after 10 years, um, basically, it just gets thrown out. Okay, excellent advice, Mike. Uh, I want to move on now to ju- just a few of the um, the issues that can happen around a home. And I want to pinpoint a few. One of them is, is the use of throw rugs and slip and fall risk. Uh, the other is something that we demonstrated in one of the bedrooms of that house, and that was the the tall cabinet that was not attached to a wall. And that was that that was an interesting one because the uh, the owner was a little bit reluctant to pin the cabinet to the wall until it was demonstrated what would happen if a child pulled out the bottom drawer to to, you know, to, to actually reach something perhaps on the top of the cabinet. So he pulls out the child pulls out the bottom drawer, stands on that drawer. And then the whole cabinet uh, would fall over onto him, and it was easily demonstrated. Yeah, I mean, it was an, it was empty. I mean, so there wasn't a lot of weight inside it. However, you know, you provide that correct leverage. You know, you you pull pull out one of those drawers. It doesn't take very much weight to actually begin to tip that over and you know with the momentum once it starts to move it just comes right over and um you know many many reported cases of cabinets large tvs um that are not secured down onto a you know that can easily topple off the uh, the top of a like a low um a low cabinet um all of those things you should really be looking at you know ways to secure those so should there be um you know the opportunity for for a child to to have access to those things is to make sure that they are secured um, one that just popped into my my head actually, which is, which is more is very specific, is for regions that are in earthquake zones, is to ensure that any of those tall furnishings are secured, because again, I mean, it, you can't help pictures and things falling off the walls, you know, in a, in a in a low impact earthquake, but certainly if if you you know you have people running through the house and you have to- furniture toppling, it takes nothing to very little to secure those pieces of furniture to the walls to ensure that again, if if you live in those zones. Typically, you're used to that kind of thing, and you would be relatively understanding of you know you know a piece of furniture falling over. However, somebody who's renting, who's never experienced something like that before, it's it's something very very easy to remedy with just um, some L brackets and, and actually screwing it to the wall. Mm-hmm. And there are proprietary products available, specific attachments that you can put on the back of a cabinet and just attach it to the wall. I mean, the, the, the owner of that property decided in the end that what he was going to do was just, just go through the back of the cabinet and screw it to the wall. Yeah, it would just pull, pull the drawers out. And actually, actually screw straight through the back of the cabinet, straight into a stud in the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's important is make sure you're actually screwing into wood, not just into plaster or drywall. Yeah, good point. Good point. Um, I briefly mentioned rugs and and that that is just, I mean, I, I know I have that in my own home. I, I used to have a rug. I did not have the non-slip extra piece underneath it. And I had an accident just going fast through the house, through the hall, put my foot on the rug and the whole thing slipped and I went down. I survived perfectly unscathed. But you know, do you imagine somebody doing that and maybe falling down, banging their head on the floor or banging their head against a chair or something like that? And then you are in for a lawsuit because 
what you supplied was not safe. And any rug that can slip on a floor is not safe. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think those are kind of the things that get really get overlooked. Very, very simple things. Oh, yeah, I've got a rug. It's beautiful. But have you actually tested to, you know, to see how, how much it moves? Does it have some form of rubber backing? Yeah, th- those are very, very simple things to, to, that can be remedied with very little expense. Oh, one other thing, and this was going back to just basic emergency safety, and that's the first aid kit. The, the owner was very reluctant to bring out the first aid kit, which is fine because they live in the house when it's not being rented. So I didn't, I didn't mind the fact that when she opened the first aid kit, there were sort of empty Band-Aid wrappers, etc. But in fact, it was, it was your wife, Mike. It was Andrea who came up with the, a, a very nifty little technique to ensure that you always know if somebody's uh, used the first aid kit or not. Yeah, and, and I we do this on our fire trucks. Is you know we do inventories of all our equipment on a fire truck, and we we carry hundreds and hundreds of different tools, all tucked away in boxes. So we know if the inventory is correct, if there is a little safety tag on the box. And these tags are they're a bit like a zip tie, but they're they're easy to break. Um, you can buy them from any hardware store, and you need to make sure that they are the you know the breakable tags. But you can put that on the, on the zippers of your first aid kit. Um, and then if, you know, as part of your between guest checks uh, is ensure that, you know, somebody is checking this, the first aid kit, if the tag's on, you're good to go. If the tag is off, then that's the opportunity to just open the package and, and just do- double check your inventory and make sure everything is there. With first aid kits, they, again, th- there are perishables in first aid kits. So things like your septic wipes will dry out, your iodine wipes will dry out. There may be other other bits and pieces in there. If you provide EpiPens or things like that, they, they have expiry dates. So just be conscious. I mean, typically, if you, you should only have to check a first aid kit once a year. And again, if you put that little tag on it, then you know that everything's good. And then at the end of that year, just open it up, double check everything, open a couple of uh, antiseptic wipes, make sure they're still wet, and then uh, and restock it if you need to. Yeah, again, very good uh, advice. And and we, we had a bit of a discussion about the size of a first aid kit because Costco have been doing these you know massive kits that have absolutely everything. And I wouldn't know how to use a fraction of it. What What's the basics that you'd need in a first aid kit? Well, even before you look at the basics, you need to take an assessment of your property. Like, where is your property located? Are you within five minutes of an ambulance or are you, uh, you know, you're going to be waiting, you know, 30 minutes for first responders to get to you? Depending on how far away help is, is dependent on how well stocked your first aid kit should be. If you're in a metropolitan area, then just some, you know, some some Band-Aids, adhesive bandages, some antiseptic uh, and trauma pads. Trauma pads are really important. Like if you have a major bleed, uh, somebody cuts their, you know, you know, the, the cutting in the kitchen and cut the hand, you know, you want to make sure you've got trauma pads to, be able to apply pressure and, and get that limb up. But that's like your bare, bare bones basics. But I think those Costco, you know, you go to Costco or any uh, Walmart, um, any of those mid-size, I think you want the mid-size first aid kit. You can have the massive one or the tiny one, uh, but the mid-size one tend to cover all the basics. And most of them should include some form of instructional booklet in there as well. That's great. I I recently did a blog post. This just moving on a little bit. Recently did a blog post called "Things That You Should Never Have in Your Vacation Rental," and the top top of this list was candles. In the old days, you know, fifteen twenty years ago, when we went to vacations, we vacation rentals, I'd expect there to be a ton of candles, and particularly if there was a if there was a power outage, like where's the candles and where's the matches? And now we say absolutely not. Take out candles. Do not supply matches. And on every changeover, check your 
your junk drawers and anywhere else to make sure that previous guests haven't left any matches behind. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why you need to ensure that your clutter for your property is down. Like you shouldn't even have a junk drawer. So that way, when it comes to the turnover, it's very easy to, to inspect to make sure that all that stuff's been removed. Because I mean, that's the, that's the worst case scenario is that a previous guest who's maybe a smoker has left a box of matches um, in, a, in a drawer and then a child finds them who doesn't normally have access to matches and all of a sudden they have a new toy. And unfortunately, that toy leads to a very bad vacation. So it's, you know, these kind of things, um, you know, whoever is doing your changeovers, whether or not you have your own team, whether you're hiring at, or you're contracting out to a property management or cleaning company, ensure that they are, you know, you've provided them with the minimum amount of training to do these safety checks. And it's advisable for you to have a safety check checklist. Again, if you head across to vacationrentalformula.com forward slash safety, uh, there's a download there where you can actually download a safety checklist uh, that you can provide to your cleaners or whoever's doing your turnovers to make sure that they're actually checking off and, and signing every week to say that's done. And you can leave that for the guests um, to, to know that their safety has been taken care of. And that's taking care of your guests, but it's also taking care of you as an owner that, you know, you, you're covering off all these bases, doing your due diligence, because in a court of law, a signed piece of paper that says this was checked on such and such a date will become part of the evidence. So, you know, it, it's, it's a very simple thing just to have a checklist, make sure your cleaner does that um, checking off of everything there and then signs it and dates it. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's and that goes for um you can include on that checklist that smoke alarms were, you know, the the they were tested to make sure they're functioning, the fire extinguishers were checked to make sure that they are um as they should be. Um the the tag was on the first kit. Uh all of those little points that um should be checked to you know, make sure that equipment is ready to go should should any of your guests need to use it. And and for us here in Ontario, because all our, we've got 140 plus properties and they're all on the waterfront and most of them come with some form of watercraft, kayaks, canoes, pedal boats, stand up paddle boards, etc. There are rules for the use of these on the water. And one of them is that they have to have a safety kit, a, a marine safety kit on board. And that's a marine safety kit on board a paddle boat or inside a kayak. So that also goes on. And it, well, what's in the safety kits, Mike? Uh, typically, the bare basics is uh, you need to have um, some form of bailing device, which typically is the bucket that it comes in. Uh, you need to have a flashlight uh, with batteries. You need to have a throw line uh, and some form of signaling device. And the reason to check those at every changeover is you can be guaranteed that at some point during a stay, a child is going to find that safety kit, open it to see what's inside, and they'll play with the rope. They will take off with the flashlight or an adult will be looking for some batteries and will take the batteries out of that flashlight. So it really is just worthwhile making that check on every changeover. You're checking those batteries. You're checking that that rope's there and everything is intact. Now, again, um, most of the if you buy, go and actually buy the kit from and here in Canada, we get it from a store called Canadian Tire. If you're down in the States, you can get it from Walmart. Uh, from West Marine, um, typically the the container that those safety kits come in um, actually has a little eye, uh, which you can again put a little uh, a little safety tab on. Um, so typically uh, you can do that, and you can put a little safety tab on, and even put a little tag on, say please only use in case of emergency. Um, those, those are great ways to ensure that you you know it takes a lot of time. There's a, there's a lot of 
a lot of check marks to do on a turnaround. If you can reduce the, that number of, of check marks by simply having a, um, an inventory tag um, to ensure that you know whether or not that's been opened, that makes a huge difference. We've covered a lot of points, um, but there's one. Um, it's actually in a couple of parts, but I want to keep it kind of short. Going back to the fire safety side of things, and, and it really truly relates to short-term rentals, is quite often as rental owners, we want to get the maximum occupancy. We want to get the most number of people into the property as possible. And that is not always the most responsible way to rent your property. Number one, typically your property you know, is, is designed and built to house a certain number of people. So if you have a six bedroom, two bedroom house, typically the systems for that property are only designed for like six to eight people. Um, if you're adding a whole bunch of futons and bunk beds and, and trying to get as many people as possible, that is when not only are you going to potentially damage some of the systems in your property, like your plumbing, your septic lines, things like that, but there's also going to be features in your property that are not designed for that number of people. One of the ones that comes uh, that Justin talks about an awful lot in some of his reviews of case studies um, is structural stability for decks. You know, are the decks actually built to support the number of people that you're planning on renting to? With a lot of us, you know, many of us don't have that kind of level of construction knowledge. So the number one thing that's on the STR, STRSI inspection is get a home inspection. Go out and get a home inspector. And typically you have to get a home inspector before you purchase a property to get insurance. But what I'd recommend is every five years, bring in a home inspector. Yes, it's an investment. It's a, it's a few hundred dollars. But get that inspection and let that inspector know that you're, you're getting this inspection specifically because you are renting. Um, and that home inspector will focus on things like construction safety to ensure that you know, the house or the property is stable enough for that number of people. And then you also have to look at you know, where those people are sleeping. Are the bedrooms actually designed as bedrooms? So we talk a lot in the STRSI program about means of egress. Now, means of egress doesn't just mean doors. It also means windows. So typically in a two-story home, uh, your primary means of egress is down the stairs and then out the front door. Your secondary means of egress is out of the bedroom windows. Now, if you have a tall property, if it's over you know, 12 feet high, you got to consider that second story, you know, can people get out safely? Can a child get out safely from a second story? Should there be a fire blocking the stairway? Um, so that's where you need to consider, you know, purchasing the, uh, the rope ladders. Um, you can get those from pretty much any store like Walmart, Target, um, and you can put those rope ladders in a box under the beds. So you can smash out the window, drop the ladder, you know, basically there's two hooks that hook on the windowsill, and then those, um, you know, there's at least a secondary means of getting out. Basements, people are, I see this all the time, and I see this all the time, you know, as a firefighter responding to medical calls, where we have illegal basement apartments, where there, there will be the basement size windows, they're typically very high up on the wall, um, and there's just enough to bring in some light and to open the windows if you need fresh air, but a person cannot fit through those windows. Those windows are not considered to be a means of egress unless a person can fit through those. And each each state will actually, building code, international building code actually gives specific dimensions for that. Um, and you can find out more again if you head across to vacationrentalformula.com forward slash safety. Because if you do have a fire in your in your property and you're using one of those rooms as a as a as a place for people to sleep and somebody was to perish in one of those rooms, there will be an awful lot of um, even jail time should you be using those rooms for illegal sleeping areas. So these are very, very important things to consider. And, and I really, really hope we haven't scared you too much in this episode because there's a lot to talk about. But if you can just stand back 
and look at it from the point of view of making sure that your guests leave just as healthy as they arrived, then everything will be good. Mike, we've covered a huge amount in this, and I think there's an equally huge amount that we haven't covered. And, you know, maybe may topic of another podcast later on, but we are going to be putting as, as much as we can on this, uh, this page on vacationrentalformula.com forward slash safety. So, Mike, thanks so much for joining me today. As ever, always a great conversation. I am so looking forward to getting out and doing, you know, the more of these safety inspections we do, I think the more, the more skilled I'm going to feel about it. You know, I'm already talking with a, with a lot more authority on, on things than I did um, just a few weeks ago. So, as, as you said, property managers out there, this is, this is not a difficult thing to do to become a certified property, uh, certified short-term rental safety inspector. So again, go to vacationrentalformula.com forward slash safety, and you can read all about how to get certified. Well, thanks so much for having me. I hope everybody has something to take away. Please head across the show notes, ask questions. There'll also be an opportunity for you to, to reach out to us on that uh, page, vacationrentalformula.com forward slash safety, where you can ask questions about your property. Um, and we can probably um, uh, circle in Justin Ford from Breezeway as well. And maybe it might form uh, another full episode on the podcast. Okay, thanks, folks. As ever, this has been a really action-packed and information-filled episode. I do hope you will take away some of these things and you will go to the show notes and comment and let us know what you're doing in terms of your own safety protocols. We'd love to hear from you. So from me, from Mike, that's it. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks again for listening to this episode brought to you by Beyond Pricing. For more information and to connect with the team at Beyond Pricing, visit vacationrentalformula.com forward slash beyond hyphen pricing. Or simply click the link in the description section of this episode on your smart device. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to being with you again next week.